Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 19, August and Everything After. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture. I am your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around I'm switching gears from the comics and movies I spent the summer talking about. I'll be focusing on some music. Specifically, I'm focusing on an album that's now 20 years old, which is August and Everything After, the debut album by Counting Crows. To talk about this album, I actually have a very special guest on the show, one of the only people I know who likes this album and band as much as I do, and someone who's quite possibly the coolest person I will actually ever have on this show, which is my friend, Shell. How are you doing, Shell? Hey. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm well. Thank you for calling me cool, because I think you're probably the only person who thinks I am. So there you go. <laughs> you're way too modest. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so so we're going to talk about the album. We're going to talk about its songs. Um, we are going to share some of the memories we have and, and what have you of the album since we've probably both owned it for about twenty years now. Yes, definitely. Yeah, but before I do that, I do want to get some background in on the album so that so everybody kind of gets a little bit of a history about it. Um, August and everything after was released on September fourteenth, nineteen ninety three eventually going triple platinum, at least, uh, and spawning four of the band's first five signals. Um, Mr. Jones went to number two. It wound up netting the group of VMA for Best New Artist. Round Here went to 31 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number seven on the Modern Rock Charts. Rain King was number three on the Modern Rock Charts, although it only hit number 66 on the Hot 100. Uh, The other track released was A Murder of One, which peaked at number... 17 on the mainstream rock chart. Uh, the fifth of the first five singles, I do want to point this out, is Einstein on the Beach, a song that was only, I think, first on the DGC Rarities compilation, uh, eventually made its way onto their greatest hits compilation, uh, Films About Ghosts, which came out in, what was that, 2003, I think. And that, I think you're uh, Yeah, and that, that, Einstein on the Beach hit 45 on the Hot 100. It actually hit number one on the modern rock charts, and personally, it was actually the very first MP3 I downloaded from Napster back in like 1999, 2000. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I'm now I'm trying to remember what the first song was that I downloaded from Napster, and I totally cannot remember. Yeah. It was that, and I think in the same night, "What Do All the People Know" by the <laughs> Rose, because <laughs> I could never right. find those damn songs anywhere. Oh no! Oh Napster, I miss you. No, Napster was so easy, except it took 20 minutes to get a song. That's because we were all on <laughs> dial-up back then. I know. 56K tying up your phone line all night because you wanted yes. to hear one song. Yep. Uh, anyway, um, August and Everything After peaked at number four, but... Uh, did it very slowly. It was released in September of 93, but it peaked on April 2nd, 1994, a full seven months after it was released. 
something you really don't see very often these days. Uh, and just for the historical context, <laughs> I looked up what was also popular during 1984, the top 10 albums on the Billboard charts on April 2nd, 1984. At number one, Ace of Bass, The Sign. Yes. Number two, Soundgarden, Super Unknown. Number three, R. Kelly's 12 Play. Uh, four was August and Everything After. Number five, Music Box by Mariah Carey, an album that had been number one or two on the charts for most of the fall and winter of 93. And I think Amanda actually owns, and if I was near my CDs, I'd probably tell you what's on it. Uh, Tony Braxton's debut album was in at number six. Motley Crue had an eponymous album of all bands at number seven. And I guess you kind of forget that some of those 80s bands kind of held on for a lot longer. Yeah, they totally did. And uh, let's see, Celine Dion's The Color of Love was at eight. Number nine was Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style. And Very Necessary by Salt and Peppa was at number 10. I think that's the one with Let's Talk About Sex. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also have to mention this because this made me chuckle that um, there were... <laughs> Enigma was on the charts at number 13. Uh, the Cross of Changes, which is the one that Return to Innocence is on. Uh-huh. And I have to make an obligatory My So-Called Life mention of there. Because songs and... <laughs> what's, what's the... Is it the Zit? It's the one with the uh-huh. fashion show. Yeah, yeah, that end. is that is it. Yeah, it. it's the zip. Um, and wow. number eleven on the Billboard 200 on April second, nineteen eighty four. Yanni live at the Acropolis. Oh man, <laughs> whatever happened to Yanni? I wonder what he's doing. I don't know. I don't know. Every once in a while, something like that comes around. Like and there's like Celtic woman, and I step dancing guy what the heck his name was and like you know or or Il Devo like one of these groups that like out of nowhere like you know the one of these things is not like the other on the billboard charts yeah totally <laughs> and it's not even Christmas yet you know yeah yeah so that's the kind of info dump um and I really didn't want to get into like his, the kind of history of the, the album itself too much I just but I did want to give some background what I'd like to do though um is kind of get personal in a way. Uh, one of the things I do whenever I have guests on, we talk about um, what kind of where we first heard things or saw things or read things, especially if I'm talking yeah. about comic books, but your origin story, like, you know, where, didn't, where, where when did, do you remember first learning about the band and, and getting the album and load those many years ago? Yeah, so let's see, 1993, I was, it's fall of 93, I was starting my first year of college at the very young age of eight. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I was I'm starting my junior. Worried about how old I am now. Oh, hey, I was starting um, my junior year of high school, so so I get to brag about how I'm younger. <laughs> yes, everyone's younger than me. It's okay. Um, no, let's see. I remember, you know, it, and it's interesting that that you mentioned how long it took. For for this album to really gain popularity mm-hmm. because I don't remember exactly when I started, when I acquired it and like it became heavy rotation for me. Um, but I don't think it was that fall. I want to say it was the next spring. Mm-hmm. Like 
right? Because yeah. I remember seeing the Mr. Jones video on MTV, like, all the time, right? I think they were doing 120 minutes then, weren't they? I, yeah, I want to say that 120 minutes finally went, back, went away, like, in the mid-90s. Right, yeah. It's because I remember being in college and, like, staying up really late to watch 120 minutes and yeah. then, you know, passing out and going back. But, um, so, yeah, I... I want to say it was like that spring into like the early summer um, when I really listened to it a lot. Um, but I know that I listened to it a lot for a really long time, so I can't. <laughs> I can't say. I can't say that I particularly remember the very first time I played it um, or when exactly I acquired it. But I do very distinctly remember. Um, having one of those ridiculous um like portable cd player tape deck adapters for my car oh i remember those yes weren't those fantastic and um and just driving around with my my best friend at the time and just listening to it over and over and over and um just like i don't know it was such a it was such a different album than other things that were popular at that time and also than other things that I had ever really liked before. Yeah. So, um, so it was really interesting that I was so yeah. like, I latched onto it so, so much, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, that's kind of all I really remember. I, I know it wasn't like winter time, so it had to have been that spring that, um, that spring, it would be spring of 94 mm-hmm. when I really got into it. Do you remember what you were listening to at the time, other than... Because I think I was oh, listening yeah. to, like, Pearl Jam and Metallica and stuff. And like, Pearl Jam, yeah. Nirvana. So um, basically everything else that... Yeah, Soundgarden. Rotation. Yeah. Um, I was super into Soundgarden. I think I saw Soundgarden that summer. Um, yeah, so a, a lot of, like, really, like, heavy grungy mm-hmm. stuff. I was also like starting to get into kind of like industrial stuff at that time too. So like electronica, but in the very like in that very like industrial genre of like, like KMFDM and stuff uh, like that. Ministry? So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Grandpa Al Jorgensen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, um, yeah, it was just, it, this was like a completely different thing, like organs. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, like like the instrumentation, mm-hmm. the arrangements, everything. Um, and sort of like but but here's the thing that I think this album helped me figure out is that I really, really appreciated clever lyrics and mm-hmm. like very storytelling kind of lyrics. And that I don't think that those sorts of things had ever been a really big part of my sort of musical experience in my life. So I don't know. That was that's kind of the thing that I think made me really love this album. That's cool. Yeah. I mine my story's kind of I guess you could say pedestrian. I, I remember I got the album for Christmas and I wanna say it was ninety four. Uh and I had been probably I had probably taped at least Mr. Jones and a couple other songs off the radio. As, mm-hmm. as we used to do when we like oh, we used yeah. to have the boombox set up on my dresser with the tape in, and the tape was always up yes. to the point where I could record, and I hit record. Um, 
And you had so to press record like, like right after the people kept like quit talking, but as quickly yeah. as possible to catch as much of the intro music. Yeah, you were hoping that they wouldn't talk over the intro or that they wouldn't come in at the end and that the yes. radio station... Now, most of the radio stations I listened to didn't cut out the bridge, but sometimes they would do that. They'd cut out the bridge of the guitar solo or something from a song to trim it down to like yeah. three minutes. But um, yeah, I got it. It's, it's somewhere in f- between my junior and senior year of high school. Uh, I, I, I remember I, I got it, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was like my Uncle Lou or my Uncle Michael got it for me. And I remember I remember some reason getting the Candlebox album right around the same time. Oh man, Candlebox! I forgot about them. I had that album too, and listened to it a lot. Yeah, and there's like um, I think a few years, a couple like a few months ago, I was I was I listened to like most of the Candlebox CD because I was on like this '90s kick. Uh huh. There's like two songs on that Candlebox album that I can still listen to, and you know, the rest of it's like "Ah, I don't know about the rest of them are kind of. Terrible. Yeah, they're not (laughs) terrible. It's just like uh, you know, just not my thing. It was like I listened to. The Allison Allison Chains' Dirt album, and between that's them, that's a really great album. It is, but there are songs in there that are just plodding, and they yeah. just go forever. Um, but I remember uh, what I do remember about this, and, and, and this this kind of fit into some of the stuff that I listened to that my friends didn't, because I am, um, you know, they were all listening to Metallica, Megadeth, Pantera, Biohazard, like metal and I had yeah I had a lot of Metallica albums because I, I, I to this day I'm pretty sure that I was listening to Metallica because they were listening to Metallica and I didn't want you know I wanted to fit in but um I was you know I was more or less raised on a steady diet of Billy Joel and Springsteen uh-huh. so the idea that the, so this band kind of fit in fit in with that you know them and and other bands that would kind of come out a little bit later like the Gin Blossoms and Better Than Ezra sure. and some of these other bands um, but I do, the one thing I do remember about this was that they kind of became one of those bands that the quote-unquote hardcore people would make fun of. Uh, there was a radio station in New York City, Q104.3, and they were the an upstart modern rock station. They eventually like changed formats to classic rock around like 97. But uh, they used to run these promos about how awesome their music was. It was like, you know, we have Nirvana, and, they, and we don't have any Barry Manilow. And they would play part of Mr. Jones and say, we don't have any Van Morrison. Oh. And, I always, <laughs> and my friends thought that was hilarious. And I, was, and I always thought, wait, I like Van Morrison, or at least yeah. I liked Brown Eyed Girl. Right. I knew girls liked Brown Eyed Girl. and it took me a while to realize that a there was a reason none of my friends were getting laid and b who really cared if i liked what they didn't (laughs) it's just like the high school that high school mentality of i have to like my friend you know what my friends like Um, yeah the album that would come out uh, in the spring of 94 and then that i would get that would completely change my taste in music would actually be dookie but that's a whole other episode (laughs) But uh, but this but this album, you're right. It it it, it it's so different than it, it's it's almost like a breath of fresh air, uh, in in and around 1993 because you know you're stuck in the middle of well, super unknown obviously versus in utero, and right, uh, Metallic was still touring around the Black album. I think Guns N' Roses had finally faded. Uh, at that yeah, point. I think you're right. But you know, and then you had on the other side of the uh, the other side of the spectrum, you had the Chronic and Doggy Style, and you know stuff that was a lot stuff that music that wasn't not that the music wasn't fun, 
to a certain extent, because Nothing But a G Thing is a really fun song, but th- there was a lot of music taking itself very seriously during the early 1990s in a way that... It, sure, know, and I think, well. yeah, I think the other thing is that, um, like, you can, you know, there was the whole, like, sort of mainstream rap and hip-hop had been had been going along for for a couple of years and, and really successful, and... and and I was, I was like, I really liked that stuff too. I listened, mm-hmm. I, I listened to everything pretty much. But, um, but then there was this whole like the whole Seattle West Coast grunge thing, mm-hmm. which then tried to be duplicated in you know like other bands and things like that. But everything sort of had a very, um, everything had a sort of very geographic uh, kind of of ness to it right like yeah. like everything had a location like yeah. like you could tell like where everything was but with the counting crows i remember being like where are these guys from because that whole sort of like you know um really melodic and you know interesting instrumentation was very americana and mm-hmm. so it wasn't it wasn't it was really hard to place where this. I thought they were from Omaha because, because of the song. Like, why? Why wouldn't they be? You know, like, and I'm like, oh, this must be what people from Omaha sound like. I don't know. It was. It, it was just an interesting that it didn't have. You know, and they're actually they're from California, so yeah. it. It's just. It was interesting to me that it did not have a geographic marker. Yeah, right. They came out of they came out of like whereas Berkeley. whereas a lot of other stuff that was happening was like was very very specific t- sound to a very specific geography. Mm-hmm. Unless it was coming out of L.A. and they were trying to manufacture something from somewhere else. Exactly, or it was Celine Dion from Canada. So there you go. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to play a quick promo, and we're going to get back. We're going to break down this album, uh, song song by song. Hey kids, comics. Hey Michael. Yeah. We need to do a new promo. A new one? A new one. Why? Because we've moved. Moved? Moved. We've moved to a new place. We still read comics. We do. We still talk about comics. Because you can't do a comic book podcast unless you read and talk about comics, because that's kind of stupid. But now, we have a new episode still available every Thursday, but at twotruefreaks.com. Hey Kids Comics! So remember, Hey Kids Comics has moved to twotruefreaks.com. Still, every Thursday. That'll do, won't it? Waking up, Maria, cause everybody else has got some place to go. And she makes a little motion with her head, rolls over and says she's gonna sleep for a couple minutes more. I said, I'm sorry to Maria for all the cold-hearted things that I have done. So I'm sorry by now, at least once, to just about everyone. And we're back. Uh, so, um, August and Everything After. Uh, just to talk a little bit about the cover, it is a it is a pretty a simple it's a pretty simple cover. It is a orange tannish cover with uh, lyrics kind of scrawled in the background and Counting Crows written as if it were signed signed by some sort of fountain pen. The title of the album uh, written on it. And I, of course, will post a picture of the album cover on the blog. But the lyrics that are scrolled over the cover are to a song called "August and Everything After." That uh, is 
not on the album, and in fact wasn't played. It was I, I think we were just talking about it. We we're saying I neither of us really remembers why, other than that it wasn't ready in their mind. And then at some point in two thousand three or four, um, they uh, I think it was like two thousand. It was before I moved down here, so I was still in Ireland. This was like two thousand two, two thousand three. They actually started playing at live shows, and I remember you IMing me one night to tell me that they had played it. And you sent me a link to somebody who had a bootleg. And I still have that MP3 on my yes. iPod. And I listen to it every once in a while. The only thing that's annoying about that MP3 is that there's like some woo girls in the audience who are screaming oh, yeah. at one point, And you're just like, oh, I wish they'd release this. This is just the basic live track or something. Right, yeah. Could I at least get the recording off the soundboard or... Yeah. <laughs> but they are... Um, but it's that's a good song, actually. It's It's a... Full, the, at least the version you hear in the bootleg and that I've played when we came back into the rake is uh, all piano. It is long, it's very long, uh, but it is uh, the closest that I can compare it to is uh, "Raining in Baltimore," which is track ten on this album, uh, and it's it's one of those bootlegs, one of the few bootlegs that I have that that I actually still listen to and really really enjoy. So I'm actually very grateful that I eventually found it or that you helped me find it. <laughs> Ah, uh, you're welcome. So, uh, the songs in, uh, that actually did make the album, um, and and I did mention Einstein on the Beach earlier in the podcast, and, I, and uh, that is still one of my favorite songs by them, even though it's completely, you know, it's it's one of the it was one of the kind of unreleased gems or the slightly released gems that would it would just show up on like radio every once in a while on the modern rock station out of Baltimore and D.C. WHFS, which is why I was so intent on getting it when I got it from Napster. Uh, but the songs that actually are on the album in order are Round Here, Omaha, Mr. Jones, Perfect Blue Buildings, Anna Begins, Time and Time Again, Rain King, Sullivan Street, Ghost Train, Raining in Baltimore, and A Murder of One. And I didn't... <laughs> been listening to this album for 20 years, and I didn't notice this until I was actually putting kind of listening to it for this episode there's a pattern in the tempo of the songs it goes slow slow fast slow 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 fast slow 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 fast that Mr. Jones Rain King and Murder of One are a little bit more up tempo than the others for Mm -hmm. the most part I I just thought there's probably no reason for that I don't know I don't know what went into placing these songs where on the album but um, I just thought that was like really interesting because I was like I never noticed that before, so it probably I, isn't. The... Yeah, I guess I never really thought about it though. As a person who appreciates a good album flow, mm-hmm. I, I I think it was well done. Yeah, I think it, you know there there are a couple of points where I don't know maybe too many slow songs in a row, but mm-hmm. with only three more up tempo songs to work with, I think they place them well. Like I. Think, I think the last song has to be the last song, right? Yes. So. It's, yeah, Murder of One is a great, great closer. Um, around Here opens it. I hear crying why I don't know Around here We always stand up straight Around here Something radiates. And 
I've always liked this. It when they play it live, it's like there's a live version on on the the across the Live Wire album from ninety seven ninety eight that is uh, it's like seven or eight minutes long. Uh huh. Um, that's it's really good, but it's like wow, that's a long song. But uh, but this song, the only thing that always bugged me about this song on the album was that it takes ten seconds to actually start. Which, if you're making a mixtape, you don't have to spool the lead forward if you're putting. It <laughs> yes, it's it's bad for mixtapes. This is true. Um, what I mean, what, what's what's your take on on this particular song? You know, this is this is an interesting song to start an album with because a lot of a lot of their other albums start with something that is like right at you right away. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, I think. I I don't really. I don't really know why they chose to put a silence in the beginning. Um, and it always makes me think, wait, did I actually press play on my iPod? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then I check it. And then by the time I check it, the like, you know, little guitar starts. So, and I'm like, Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I think, I think it's a good opener. I think, I think particularly lyrically, it's a very good opener. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it very much establishes the, the overall, um, sort of the overall theme and feel of the album that they're like there are all these things kind of happening that aren't really made clear and it's all very sort of confusing and nebulous and really emotional and yeah. I think you get that in like the first four lines and so um, so I think yeah I like it yeah. one of my favorite lines is the is one of the op- is the opening line the phrase no one notices the contrast of white on white mm-hmm. I've- always love that like there's there's a real poetry that goes on in, in this and, and and a lot of the other songs in the album that uh that you weren't getting at the time at least from a lot of the mainstream stuff that that we'd be li- that we would be listening to and and i remember listening to the being being a you know a white middle to upper middle class kid in the suburbs which is a very very hard life um, in the 1990s, you know, this was this was me. <laughs> yeah. But this was this was the song where I'm like, you know, this is I'm here in the suburbs, and it's like, you know, oh yes, round here, like, because everything's about me, round here, and like, I think of like how I was trying to be disaffected in some way when it's like, what the hell did you have to be disaffected about as a teenager, other than the fact that you couldn't get a date? Um, and I, I always pictured like this would be the song I would play for my parents. Like Joey Deschanel does in Almost Famous, where she plays America by Simon and Garfunkel, and she's like, "This song tells you everything about me." And this is like one of those songs where it's you know, even though you're right, the 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 lyrics are ambiguous and they're nebulous, and and it it takes a while to you you listen to it a few times and you start to get it more and more, and and um, and of course it's it's quoted in a song by one of our favorite bands, uh, the Gaslight Anthem, Mm -hmm. High and Lonesome. Yes, which I listened to while yes. running. Which is the, which is why I started listening to the Gaslight Anthem, and I would just like to mention that I'm currently wearing my Gaslight Anthem hoodie. So there oh, that's you go. really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got into them. I got into them because um, you had recommended them, and I had noticed either Old White Lincoln or the Fifty Nine Sound on Sirius. Mm-hmm. I have one of those cool series where the the song and the album, the the song and the artist will play, and I had kept seeing that, but I hadn't really listened, paid much attention to them at the time, and then we go from there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we go from uh, around here into Omaha. 
To me, there's something very, um, I'm gonna, I brought them up already, Springsteen or Mellencampy about this song, because it's, it's a, it, it is, it is one of the few songs in the, in the album that fe- doesn't feel incredibly personal, like from the point of view of Adam Duritz or, or, or whomever was writing this in the countercodes, it seems like it's telling stories about a character, a piece, kind of like how those two, uh, and, and. Dylan does, and you know other other people do, um, and I like it. It has a really good melody, uh, a, you know, kind of that even tempo, and um, and and it has that kind of feel of like you can picture like a cornfield and a you know th- the music kind of matches the setting. I think yeah, is what I'm absolutely. To say. <laughs> it it's very yeah it's very it it paints a very clear picture, right? Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, like you listen to it, and you're like. What is this story, though? But I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. That's that. That's there's just enough left open about it that you're able to draw your own conclusions and sort of make up your own kind of narrative around it. Yeah, they have a gift of subtlety that some of the other singer songwriters I was just mentioning don't, and uh, <laughs> and and that that's really cool. And um, I don't really have much else to say. <laughs> because because the next song, it, it, although this this does end up on there, they must really like the song because it's on their greatest hits compilation, and it wasn't, to my knowledge, actually released as a single, which is what bands tend to put on hits comp like best of compilations. They tend to right. put the stuff that was that was hits, and um, because on that compilation, there's uh, I think the only, one of the one of the only few unreleased singles from that would, would be like Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, which maybe was released. I don't remember. But you oh, can't God. listen to hanging You're around without listening. Testing to that my anymore. my trivia, and I'm oh, I'm I'm going to kill you. Sorry. Don't worry. I do not I know remember. if Mister's Lullaby was a single, but there there's something that your listeners can look up for themselves. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody scrambling to Wikipedia right now. They're going to email me in. <laughs> but but we go from um, we go from around here to Omaha to Mister Jones, which was uh, which was the song that put them on the map. This is what got them. This was what had the Van Morrison comparisons, which are apt because it is a very Van Morrison sounding song. Um, Absolutely. And they actually wound up. I don't think he. I don't think Morrison went to his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, but they played for him. Uh huh. This was back before VH1 was televised at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. But when he he was he was inducted in about ninety three or ninety four, and they played, um, there who knows there might be a video of it on YouTube somewhere. But they did play in, in his in his place because he he's not Van Morrison isn't the type to really care about those things. Right. So I don't even think he <laughs> even showed up. But to me, this is the perfect four and a half minute pop song about wanting to be famous. <laughs> so um, and I really still like it even though it got played to death not yeah, as much as a long december but it got played to death 
Yeah, but I don't know. Here's the thing. Like, I I liked Mr. Jones. Like, clearly, I liked it enough to go and, like, listen to the rest of the album and, mm-hmm. you know, buy the album and listen to the rest of the album and all of that. But it did just hammered into the ground. And, like, I don't know exactly the timing of when the single came out or how many millennium it was played <laughs> on the radio. But, um, but there, yeah, and... Like, I can listen to it now, and I don't, you know, it, and, and it's cool. And I, I do appreciate it. It's a really good song. Yeah. But it's, yeah, at the time, like, there were times, there were a lot of times playing this album when I skipped that track, I'm going to admit it, just because I'm just like, I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> it, it is, it is um, to me, it, it can very well be uh, Mysterious Ways, which is the one song on Octone Baby that I still can't listen to because it's still yeah. overplayed on the radio. Yeah. About as much as Pride. But um, but yeah, it's yeah, I, I totally get where. Cause, but that happens with a lot of albums. Where the first song that you hear that got a lot of radio airplay, after you finally get the album, you kind of skip over because you want to hear the other stuff. Right. Um, you know. And it's always great when like the rest of it is as good or better than mm-hmm. <laughs> than the single that drew you in, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is a rare album where there really isn't a dud. Right. On the I album. agree. There's stuff you might skip over, but and you know it's it's not. I, I I have to say, like before maybe the last few weeks, I it wasn't an album that I really genuinely would put on very much. So it had been a while since I'd listened to it when I started mm-hmm. listening to it again a couple of weeks ago, and I still really love it. Yeah, and I was so happy about that because a lot of you know a lot of times I think nostalgia has a way of like sort of clouding your judgment on things mm-hmm. or your, your remembrance and, and you go back and, and either read a thing or watch a movie or listen to an album and you're just like, man, I just, it's, you know, it, I just don't love this the way I used to. What This is actually not very good. Yeah. And a recent example for me in a completely different genre was I, I, uh, I actually watched The Crow <laughs> a few weeks ago. I have that on VHS somewhere. That movie is not good. <laughs> like, it is. It is. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it in, in a very long time. Probably, I don't think I've watched that since college. But I remember, I do remember thinking, for what it had happened, where they really had to finish the film from what was left over. They yeah. did a good job, but you're right. It is. I just, I just had like I, you know. I hadn't watched it clearly in a really long time, you know, more than 10 years, probably more than 15. Yeah. And just, I don't know. I would, I just remember it as being like, Oh my God, I loved that movie and I loved watching it. And when I watched it now, I was like, well, I don't think I'll be doing that again. (laughs) You have the soundtrack. I do have the soundtrack. Soundtrack's really good. Yeah. The soundtrack still holds up. I don't actually don't have the soundtrack, but I remember the soundtrack still holds up. And I know that, there was there were a couple of sequels to that, and I want to say that on the City of Angels soundtrack was that wasn't that where they they put the whole cover of Gold Dust Woman, which is really good. I, uh, I know that I know that whole covered Gold Dust Woman at one. They point. did I'm cover Gold sure Dust Woman. Threw it on that soundtrack for some reason because I remember my roommate in college having that, and it's a good cover though. Yeah, it's a really good cover. 
That's because she's now, better than now that's she's better than Stevie not. Nicks, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you be nice to Stevie. Uh, oh, um, I, I, I will, I will pull out my copy of Rumors every once in a while, um, and and listen to uh, the Chain and and some of the other songs. I have nothing against Stevie, but. Uh, but there are a couple of songs where, where she get covers where she, they get out she gets out sung and and that and I really like the Pumpkins version of Landslide. Yeah. Then I like the yeah, that's version of Landslide. So. Okay, so according to Wikipedia, you are correct. It was the whole version was featured on the soundtrack to the Crow City of Angels. Oh, and it was produced by I'm not going to pronounce his last name correctly. Rick Okasik of the Cars. I believe that's correct. Sweet, but yes, it was released as a single by Hole, actually. Who produced? Real busy back in the day. They were real Rick, busy. Okasic produced. Um, he 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 produced one of the best car songs the Cars never wrote, which was um, uh, Stacy's mom, because he he was or he was working with Founds of Wayne, I think. I might. I did I, not know I, that I he produced that. And I want to say he had a hand in Weezer at the beginning too. That, now that I that I think you're right. I, I think I did. Blue album. That sounds that sounds correct in my memory, which is apparently a huge sieve at this point. Um. I, have, <laughs> I have the type of memory where I remember random shit about popular culture from twenty, thirty years ago. Yet I have to put my car keys in the same place every night so that I don't forget where they are. Uh huh. <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh yeah, this is where my keys are. Or also go around searching where are my keys. So. Yeah, where I can like listen to a song in twenty years and still remember every single lyric when mm-hmm. I put it back on, but you know, could not tell you about uh, Stacy's mom. Sorry, <laughs> that's still a good album, by the way. I was listening to it a few weeks. Yeah, ago. <laughs> yeah, I liked that album a lot. So next we have Perfect Blue Buildings. A song that that I actually I listened to one of the it's not like a light station on Sirius, but it's it's called the Spectrum, where it's kind of a slightly slower modern rock. They play a lot of Coldplay, which gets annoying. But um, I have nothing against no, Coldplay. Like I'm just sick of hearing Coldplay. I, you know, I'm, gotcha. I don't hate Coldplay. But it's just like I'm not like super huge in defense of Coldplay. Yeah, but I I do think that they get a lot of crap and they write actually really cool songs. So. I think they get a lot of crap because they're played too much. I think that's the only reason. That could that could be it. One of the reasons. But but they will play this and I always found it kind of interesting. I was like, you know, but it is. It's kind of a slow it's a it's a very kind of lofty sounding song um about perfect blue buildings beside the green apple sea and another one of those kind of really ambiguous almost pretentious lyrics that sometimes I pay attention to and like and sometimes I just kind of keep this on for background noise. Yeah, I I will say that I think I think this song grew on me. I don't think that I really particularly liked this song when it first when I first got the album and started listening to it. 
but I don't know. I think I think I grew to appreciate it, and mm-hmm. um, I grew to appreciate songs about not being able to sleep. Also, <laughs> but I think the other reason that I don't listen to it as much uh, when I listen to the if I'm listening to the album all the way through is because as Anna begins is the next song. Mm-hmm. And I love Anna Begins. I think it's yes. one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Um, it's a great song. Yeah. Which is... It's about sex. <laughs> on some level. <laughs> yes. It's Lots the, of songs are. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So it's sex and death. Um, one, of the, one of the songs that reminds me of it, which is a... There's a Dave Matthews Band song from Crash called say goodbye which the whole point of the song is like hey we're friends but we're here tonight let's go to bed but in the next tomorrow morning we're just gonna be friends again mm-hmm. which is a lot less subtle and a lot more cheesy now than this which is really to me this is about not only kind of kind of taking that leap with somebody but like how scared you are even though it it seems to feel good. Like there's just this, there, there's just this uneasiness about the song. And then there's little things in there about, you know, what he notices about, um, her. And, and, uh, I also noticed one of the things I noticed about the song when I first listened to the album is she's not named Maria, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it was just one, it's one of those, like, it's not like, it's not perfectly in love with you. And I think right. I, I absolutely love that about, about the song. I think that's what makes it so beautiful. Yeah, it's definitely one of those songs where, you know, it's the the lyrics are very poetic and it's mm-hmm. and it definitely tells a narrative. Um but you you kind of have to put the pieces together and I appreciate that in lyrics. I appreciate the sort of like not having to explicitly say exactly what's happening but still conveying all of that uneasiness and feeling and and how how that works so well with like the the cadence of the of the music as as well it's a it's a great yeah and it tells it it tells a story in sequence too Mm -hmm. which like you know kind of progresses through it to the end and and that that line i'm not ready for this sort of thing it's that 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 fear that hesitation that like i said is is just like you said yeah it's it is very poetic um you know in in a way that like we're saying that, that you didn't get you got complex lyrics you got weirdly amb- ambiguous lyrics to this day I'm still trying to figure out why the dogs are finding her when she smells alone when I listen to plush by Stone Temple Pilots <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, just but that's just like I, weird bullshit <laughs> yeah I was just gonna say I wouldn't uh, I, w- I wouldn't lose any more sleep over that <laughs> I don't, how, I don't how think much, you're gonna- how much heroin were you on, Scott? 
Um, yeah. And then we go from and it begins time and time again. I wanted to see you walking backwards to get the sensation of you coming home. I wanted to see you walking away from me without the sensation of your Like I said, I don't not like any of the songs of this album, but I just remember this song is... I, I don't know what the time on it is. I don't know actually how long it runs for, but I think it's because of the way the tempo is and because of the way the the the, the chorus goes time and time again. It just feels like it takes forever. Well, it is a, it is actually one of the longer songs on mm-hmm. the on the record. It's, it's over five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I will say that for... For that, it is the song that gets stuck in my head after I stop listening to the album. Like, yeah. it's the song that, that, like, earworms me the most off of the album. And I don't know why, but, like, that's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's the one. So. I, I think, I've, there are times where I find myself humming this if I've listened to the album, and I think you're right, it's. It is very, very weird how that happens. But it it's sandwiched in between that and Rain King. And Rain yeah. King is where we go up tempo again, and that was um it's almost a real like a palate cleanser. another like kind of pop song uh which has some awesome live versions one of which you sent me because this is the song where they'll shove a cover into the middle like the bridge and you sent me a version with thunder road yep which i love absolutely (laughs) love it's so good isn't it it's so good it's my favorite it's my favorite live version by far yeah and it's like the in total, it's like 11 minutes because yes. it's live and they just keep going and they sing the entirety of Thunder Road and mm-hmm. then finish up Rain King and it's just so good. Yeah. And it's it's just a straight up rock song too. And yeah. That's what I, that's what I love about it. And um, I have, in addition to the album, I actually have the, the, the sheet music to the entire album in, in a you know, like, because I played the piano, and um, mm-hmm. I have the piano, vocal, guitar uh, book of August and everything after. And I was flipping through it. I was like, because you, know, so, um, you know, I would take piano lessons, and I have apparently was playing this on April 11th of 1995 because the date is written on ranking. I don't remember playing this song though. Huh? Interesting. <laughs> I remember playing Sullivan Street and Raining in Baltimore a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I probably could. I haven't sat down at the piano. Um, the last time I sat down on the keyboard was the episode I recorded by myself last November when I when I played November Rain. 
Oh, nice. I did an episode about November Rain, and, and there's a point where I'm playing it, but, you know, on my keyboard, I'm terribly, but I could probably still sit down and play Raining in Baltimore if I wanted to. But, uh, yeah, but um, I do remember, like, this This was the song for me that replaced Mr. Jones as the sort of, yeah. I'm going to listen to the to the rock song on the album. Um, and I also do, like, the, there's a version you sent me with Thunder Road, and then there's two versions on their live uh, their live double disc, one of which was the VH1 Storyteller Special, which was a slower version of Rain King, an acoustic version, and then there's the one at the Live from the Ten Spot MTV Special, which uh-huh. they do they put something in the middle of it there, but I've actually never looked up what it is, and maybe I, maybe I will at one point. But uh, both of those are very very good, uh, not as incredibly long as the Thunder Road version, which you're right, it runs about 11 minutes. But this is a band that could do an 11-minute version of a song and have you listening to it, as opposed to, you know, like the Grateful Dead. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which would do like 25 (laughs) minutes of trucking, and you're like, wait, this is still the same song. Or Fish, because no one knows where they are anyway. Oh, no. But, no, yeah, I think think playing some some version of another song in the bridge of rain king is a thing that they just do all the mm-hmm. time when they play live um and uh i was trying to remember and it's like i didn't even live half of my life anymore because <laughs> i cannot even recall like all the different times that i've seen counting crows but mm-hmm. obviously every time they play ranking um and i and I, I know that like when it gets to that bridge there's always some like at least a few lines of a song and i know that at the time that they were performing thunder road or i don't i mean i have a bootleg with it on there and i don't know how many times they <laughs> subjected their audience to the full minute mashup version yeah um but i know that at the time they were they were contributing to a or were chosen to contribute to a Springsteen tribute mm-hmm. project. So I think they were just sort of like, hey, we you know, we got we got this arrangement down because we had to record this thing, so gotcha. why don't we just throw it in our show? So um Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's always it's always a, a nice little surprise in the middle of Rain King. What are yeah. you gonna sing now? I know. Oh. I I've seen I actually believe in it, I've only seen them once. Uh, but it was ninety. It was the summer of ninety-seven, on the recovering the satellites tour. They were tour- touring with the Wallflowers. And oh wow! I stumbled into tickets because somebody I worked with couldn't go. She said, "I'll give you these tickets for twenty bucks a piece." I took my sister, and um, nice. The Wallflowers. Uh, Adam Duritz came out on Sixth Avenue Heartache. I remember that. And the only cover, I'm pretty sure they covered something during ranking, but the only cover I remember the entire night was that Duritz and the Wolf came out, and the crow, some of the crows came out with the Wallflowers, and they did The Weight by the band, which, oh, wow. uh, which I, is a song that I absolutely love, and it was actually a really, really good song. And uh, yeah. this was at the time where basically, because I remember reading the newspaper the next day, and the entire review was your typical pretentious rock newspaper, rock critic review where uh-huh. he was basically talking about how Jacob Dylan was not his father. And I'm like, and yeah. I was just like, did you go to the concert? So. Right. <laughs> but, um, that's, so, oh, that's so cheap. Like that's the, oh, yeah. that's the, the easiest thing you can say. It like, come in, on. It was in Newsday. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The, okay. Hey. Shit, Newsday. It's not like it was spin, which isn't, you know, <laughs> 
spin, <laughs> spin the return on investment in spin is iffy sometimes. Depends on what you're looking at. Yeah. And even still, Rolling Stone. Still, I just I get I get so frustrated at lazy music oh, yeah. journalism. Yeah. And I get so excited about like intelligent music journalism. <laughs> you no, know, I'm the same way with film critics, where it's just like, you know. Yeah, it, it, just the laziness of some film critics, and you're like, you know, why are you even make an effort? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that you have to like everything, but make an effort. <laughs> yeah, but if you don't like it, don't phone it in. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. Anyway, well, complaining yeah. about other people not doing their jobs right. I know, right? <laughs> Sullivan Street is next. Won't come around. This was one I loved because I could play it on the piano, and mm-hmm. uh, and it has the although the phrase about being down on your knees over and over and over and over and over again does kind of get wear your nerves, but uh, it's it's so painful through a lot of this, uh, and and it you could tell that there's some sort of catharsis going on, or at least that's what I get out of it. Uh, that that there's it's a lot heavier than say. In terms of its mood, than say um, Anna Begins or, or of course Mr. Jones and and Ranking, mm-hmm. but has a great guitar part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a re- it's a really beautiful song, and I like the way that it sort of builds and swells and recedes. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, you like Ghost Train probably more than I do because I, I don't hate it, but like I, I was saying before we came on. I usually skip the song because it's between Sullivan Street and Raining in Baltimore, which are two of my favorite songs of the album. How do you She said, hey, how do you do? And this is another song that actually takes a little bit to actually start because there's like a train in the background at the beginning and then they start the song and and mm-hmm. I, they, I almost have to like not force myself to listen to it, but I have to make kind of a point of like, okay, I'm listening to this song instead of skipping to the next song. Um, I don't know. I, I, like, I like the quietness of it. I like the... I don't... I don't know. <laughs> the cat's going I don't nuts. Have, I don't have an answer prepared. Uh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's not. I mean, I get. I looking at the the way that the track listing is, I can see why it would be a song that people would skip because mm-hmm. the the songs bracketed are like so epic. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just, I just kind of, I just kind of always liked it. I don't know. I, I have I do, to give it a pretty serious listen. <laughs> like the line about. Um, between the Buried and Me, which mm-hmm. was the name of a Counting Crows cover band that, that I ran across once. So there oh. you go. <laughs> which, you know, now sounds like it should be like a terrible pop punk band. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, what's the one? And you will know us by the Trail of the Dead. I think it's the name of a <laughs> punk band. You know. Yeah. But we, but Raining of Baltimore is next. And, and like I said, I, I, um, I could 
I, if, if I wanted to wake everybody up in the house, I could get out my keyboard and, and, and try to play this. Um, because it, it's that simple. All it is is a, is a piano. The circus is falling down on its knees. The big top is crumbling down. It's raining in Baltimore, 50 miles east, where you should be. No one's around. And uh, Duritz is from Baltimore originally. Although I don't mm-hmm. know if he spent a lot. He was he was born in Baltimore, eventually moved to Boston, and then he went to college. Um, he, the band formed in Berkeley, uh, or right. um, down in San Francisco area. Uh, and um, if you if you know anything about the weather in Baltimore, uh, having gone to college in Baltimore, it does rain, especially on Fridays in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> it was a funny joke when we were in college. Aww. It's Friday. It's the spring. Of course, it's raining. It's Baltimore. But no, it is. But but um. But I it, I'm sure that this has nothing to do with the weather patterns of the jet stream when it comes to Baltimore. The, but this is the entire reason I have the sheet music to the album because you know you couldn't get this as an individual song, so I bought the entire book. And I remember actually, I think I wanted to play this. Like you know, my my piano teacher used to make me play one classical piece and then something I chose. And usually mm-hmm. it was a Billy Joel tune because I had both Billy Joel complete songbooks. But I had this, and I played. She's like, okay, well, why don't you give this a sight read? And I sight read. She's like, you don't need me to teach you how to play this. You can play this on your own. She says, pick something else. So I was like, okay. And I think that's why I picked Rain King. Um, this was toward the tail end of me actually taking piano lessons because I think by the time May or June of 95, I was done because I was graduating. But um, but this is a... It, it's, it's, it's simple, and it's beautiful, and sad of course which is a motif of a lot of their songs they're they're um when he sings up temp when he sings happy happy songs they don't go over very well right um, i'm not a big fan of accidentally in love and i know that was written for a shrek movie but yeah but it's you know but but his you know when he's when he's thinking about breakups and he's thinking about like kind of long lost friends and lost loves and mischances and 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 all of that, um, I think that's where he's at the top of his. And I'm speaking of, of Adam Duritz specifically, even though he's part of the band. But this this feels like a, almost like an Adam Duritz solo piece, as right. opposed to um, any um, many of the other songs in the album that that are that are clearly uh, you know the, the band the band makes the song. And of course, there were times freshman year of college where it would be raining and somebody in a dorm would play this. Of course. <laughs> We're in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of like perfectly encapsulates that kind of like really melancholy like just just being super depressed about every last thing and like mm-hmm. not even knowing what you need to make yourself feel better. <laughs> so you just mm-hmm. start listing off random things like a it's... phone call, a raincoat. I need somebody to love me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's but, the blues but, without but, the but blues. It, <laughs> right, but it's, you know, which sounds so, like, trite and, like, mm-hmm. you know, groan-worthy, but genuinely, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's really, it's really beautifully, it's a beautiful melody, and um, I remember this, I remember specifically this one as being one of the 
the songs that my uh, friend and I, we would drive around listening to the CD, and we would just, like, sing at each other at the top of our lungs. These are, like, this big list of everything we needed. It's easy to sing, too. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, but it's easy to sing, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this is, this is like, it's a, it's a cup of coffee in a diner at late at night. You know, it's, it's that, it is that sort of just very solitary moment that, uh, very often you don't get, you know, in life. And the dealer, like you said, yeah, it is kind of, it, it is depressing in a way, but, but it, it, it does, it straddles the line between being poignant and whiny. Yeah. And because they'll have stuff later in their in their catalog that that does get whiny right uh, but but this actually doesn't take us there and i think that's one of the reasons i like this so much well yeah and it's i mean it, and it's sort of that kind of like thing right like i'm i'm really upset about everything in life and i'm just going to sit here and be upset about it and like everybody does that you yeah. know like <laughs> there's no there's nobody that can't like relate to that Morrissey, right Morrissey built his entire career on that <laughs> did not expect you to bring up Morrissey in this conversation but um that's fine um, <laughs> um I've come around on the cure I still have not come around on Morrissey <laughs> Yeah, no, that's cool. I literally have nothing to say about Morrissey. The only thing I can say about Morrissey is that one of the funniest things I saw on Tumblr was that Will and Kate should have named their baby Morrissey just to piss him off, which I thought would have been so funny. Of course, it didn't happen. The royal family aren't trolls. Imagine that. That's awesome. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the album wraps up with A Murder of One. It's not hard rock, but it's the hardest rock song on the album. Uh, it is, once again, me being a t- I first heard the song on the radio uh, when the mm-hmm. rock station I used to listen to it was playing it when right around the time they released it. And I don't think they played it very often because this, is, this didn't have a lot of staying power. Rain King actually uh, had quite a bit. Um, but uh, I did not know at the time that a group of crows was called a murder. This song also taught me that fact. So there you go. And yet the phrase, you know, it's, there's this nice turn of phrase in the title of the song. He is a, he is alone, but at the same time, you could take murder literally, you know, as in red rum and, and murdering of one, you know, this sort of, (laughs) it's, I'm pretty sure it was deliberate because you don't automatically think of the word murder and a group of crows because you think of, you know, homicide. Right. And um, 
and this is this is the song where the band names itself basically because there's the line um isn't it an old nursery rhyme or something uh yeah i think so yeah one for sorrow um i don't know i don't know if i don't know if the particular words counting crows are in that it but is. yeah the one it is oh, okay they are. It's, 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 as you it's as you stood there counting crows one for sorrow two for joy Oh, I know it's in the song. I meant the nursery rhyme. Oh, in the, in the thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I always, I thought it was fascinating that that they would entire band that, and not just like you know the album. But yeah. no, they named the album something that isn't even on the album. So I found that I found that dichotomy really interesting. Um, and I could not think of at the time another band that had a song with its own band name in it. The only Except- the only time I ever there were two instances where I remember. One was some random ass new wave group from the '80s called Living in a Box. Uh huh. Because uh-huh. Oh, and the only reason I remember that is because the title of the song and the title of the album were Living in a Box. So when Ember MTV would play the video, it would be Living in a Box, Living in a Box, Living in a Box, Warner Brothers Records. And that's the only reason I remember it. And the other one is Whiplash by Metallica. They name themselves in that. So they actually say we are Metallica. It's off of Kill 'Em All. Another interesting you you brought up the Crow. A little earlier. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. Because I have. Um, not only do I have the movie on VHS, I have the trade paperback, the, the collected edition of James O'Barr's comic. I bought it in 1994, oh. right around they they reissued it. Kitchen Sink Press reissued it right around like 94, 95 when the movie came out. And gotcha. I'm looking for it somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it that the the one for sorrow, two for joy is actually quoted in here somewhere. And I'm flipping through. Look it right at now me being relevant, and I didn't even know it. I know, but no, I <laughs> honestly, and I can't find it. I don't know where it is, but it is definitely in there. And um, what I will do is I will find it and I will scan it. And I will put it on the uh, on the blog post that will go ar- along with this episode, so you, so people can see it. But yeah, it's at one point. I don't know if he says it or if it's a um, if it's kind of in a a narration box or something. Um, right. The crow itself, the, the the actual graphic novel is actually pretty good, and there's a lot of um, a lot of interesting uh, poetry quoted um, by Arthur Rimbaud and, and some of the mm-hmm. some of his contemporaries and stuff. So it's actually it it goes a lot deeper than the film. But then again, most of the time, that's what happens. Most of the time, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but back to the song. The song is it's angsty. But it's angst that I like. It's, it's anger. It's like he's—I don't know who he's yelling at, but he's definitely ticked off at the person. I don't know if he's yelling it at himself or if he's yelling at a, at a. You know, I think at one point, depending on what my emotional state it was, you know, the song was about you know the singer, so it was like you know my angst or it was, you know, something I could use when I could listen to when I was pissed off at you know somebody I was like an ex-girlfriend or something <laughs> but, right. but, but it, it does, has this sort of like you know there's, there's a lot there's a lot behind this um, and in live versions I know that he doesn't get very subtle and he does go into this whole thing about him being alone and later on it becomes sometimes it becomes irritating if, he, if Adam Duritz is talking about Aaron, Adam Duritz especially because he kind of ran the celebrity dating gamut for a while. Yeah. 
and like he was like he was like racking up like Scott Bayo figures at one point. <laughs> like Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox and you know, and I know that sounds so just sexist and wrong, but at the same time it's just like, you know, oh I'm sorry you're famous and you are dating, you know, <laughs> women who make the cover of Rolling Stone for being the hot girl. You know, it's it's just like I get it. At the same time, it's almost like, you know, you, it's almost like from Mr. Jones to this, you have, I want to be famous and now I'm famous and that it's not all I'm cracked up to be. Almost in like the span of an album, yeah. which probably wasn't the intent, but actually works out pretty well. Right. I, and I would, you know, that it, because if this album had never gone anywhere, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be viewed through that lens, right? That's true. So, um, so yeah, in defense of Mr. Duritz and his his complete ability to date whoever he wants whenever he wants. Um You're allowed to be jealous of that yeah. at least at one point in your life. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I get it. I mean, you know, um whatever. Celebrity dating is like such a strange topic. Um I'm not gonna go but, there. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just press pause on that one um yeah no i you know i liked that i liked that the song could be directed at a different person or talking to yourself as a different person as well Mm -hmm. um i liked that it could be read both ways i do like the sort of like couplet at the end the walk along the hillsides in the summer beneath the sunshine yeah Feather by the Moonlight. Yeah, that's really cool. Those are some of the best lyrics on the album, I think. Yeah. And they're because they're they're just paired so well and they just like they scan so well. <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> and they I, do. I just being so enthralled by that. Um when, you know, listening to the, to it and just like when it got to that point, just it it still like gives me so much happiness. Yeah. So and I think even though that, it's like, even though it's a very sad song, like that's mm-hmm. a, I don't know that's the thing. Sad songs make me happy, but that's always yeah, been no, my entire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, no, I I get the same way because if it's if it's a sad song, but it has sort of a this is a sad song with depth and substance, yeah, as opposed to some sad songs and angsty songs. I'm looking at you live, um, that <laughs> don't that twenty years later you're just like what the hell is this shit. Um, you know, but there, you know, there are there are things that, you know, I mentioned the Cure earlier. There are things in their catalog that that have that sort of depth to it. That yeah, you're right. They just it's very nice. And, and you know, I've come, I, I've always appreciated the lyrics to the song. That that is one of my favorite parts of the song. And and I don't know. The, doing this episode has great timing. I just finished um, I just finished doing Twelfth Night with my sophomores. So oh, I've been I've been cool. Wisconsin Shakespeare for the last couple of weeks. So that and there's you know the, this. County Crows isn't exactly, you know, playing off of Shakespeare or anything, but there's that sort of, um, I don't know, I, 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 I don't know why I'm making the connection here, but, but I was just like, yeah, it's sort of, there's, there's an art to the lyrics in this that, that you don't have from a lot of them. Even nowadays, you don't have a lot of art to the lyrics in, in some of the more mainstream pop music. Not that you ever really had for years and years. Uh, you know, even the Beatles have their moments where you're just like, what are you talking about? Um, right, but overall, um, you know, drugs. It's drugs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but did you, uh, you know, overall, you said that, and I agree with you that this is a great closer for the album. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I think this had to this had to be the last song on the album, right? Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're if you're taking this collection of songs and putting them in an order, yeah, um, this, this had, had to be the closer. And I and I would even argue that you know the track one has to be track one too. Yeah, and it's one of those closures that you ever have an album where the closing song is just it's skippable because it's something that's just kind of long and drawn out and and slow and and just almost like a dirge and you're just like you wonder if it was like tacked on at the end or something um, right yeah or it's or it's you know like just does not fit with the rest of the album at all but you know putting it in that last track spot somehow is supposed to be you know like forgive that um yeah. or it's just uh, you know like a silly cover yeah, yeah, that because the only time one of the, and the only time I've I've seen it work where where it is a very slow kind of down tempo song is when it's actually pretty short, though it's almost because it feels like almost like a coda or an epilogue to the rest of the album. Yeah, um, but I'm talking about those like like Jungle Land, for instance, on Born to Run, which is it's just a beautiful song, but God, that song is long and it's just like <laughs> you know what the helpers um you know and then there are other there are other albums that that have that sort of um but you know this i wouldn't put this up there with a day in the life but it, it has that sort of this has to close the album feel to it that like a day in the life has yeah yeah uh, for instance um so it sounds like you're kind of with me where this album not only holds up but is still actually really really good even though it's 20 years ago and yeah. the band's put out yeah, five absolutely. or six albums since. This is, to me, one of the most consistent albums. Yeah, the other yeah, ones I can, I'll cherry pick what I like off of the other albums. Right. It, it, it was uh, yeah. It's such a such a solid debut. And then you know, I think like like well, you know, like like most bands, you know, they have an in of time to write their debut. Right. They've been writing songs forever and ever mm-hmm. and ever and ever. And they can pick like all the greatest ones and the best ones and put them on all together and That's you know true. make this great 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 debut album and then if something goes you know skyrockets like Mr. Jones mm-hmm. like to the love to that level then it's like oh my god now we have to write a second album and hurry up and do it you know <laughs> and so yeah well, like, recovering, like, recovering that, the satellites just, yeah no 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 here's the thing I, I actually love that album. Yeah, I do. Too. I do. Um, and there are songs on it that I really, really like. Um, but it's yeah, it was, it was never. I always preferred August and Everything After to mm-hmm. um, recovering the satellites. And I would say that I still do. Yeah. And I, I know Crows fans that would argue with me. <laughs> but I, uh, I know I remember loving counting the, uh, recovering the satellites because um, I got it the day it came out. And uh, and I remember being so happy that Angels of the Silences was the first single because that for me was like that was a great shot right out of the gate and yeah. Long December was the song that came off of that that was that blew up in a right. big way and there were some other ones and then um, the one that came after that is this the, Desert Life Desert Life yes um, that to me is their most uneven uh, it's not terrible but there's there's a lot of stuff in there it's almost like those latter those latter nineties Pearl Jam albums where you're like, what? What is the band doing in here? You know, like you, they're yeah. they're missing something, and even though there are a couple of really really good tracks on there, but I thought Hard Candy was a really really good album. In fact, I put that yeah, Hard Candy's together. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just pulling all of my albums off my shelf right now <laughs> as you're talking. So. 
It's funny. Yeah, I'm so just looking at yeah, this. This is this is interesting because I didn't listen to any of the other albums in in I, I prep haven't listened this, to for, for yeah. this. So, yeah. um, so oh, Richard Manuel is dead is such a good song. I love that song. I love that song. I also like um, Up All Night. Yes, Frankie Miller goes to Hollywood. Hollywood. Yes, and Holiday in Spain. Come on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Hard Candy has that great line. Um, she's something altogether different, never just an ordinary girl. Yeah. I love that line. <laughs> just like, that's a line that gets stuck in my head. And then American Girls, I absolutely love. And um, uh, Holiday in Spain, uh, Miami is a great song. That, that, that album that album holds up incredibly well. Um, and then Saturday Nights and Sunday Mornings I thought was pretty good. Um, I haven't listened to it that one seriously enough. In the yeah, last. I really, you know, I listened to that one a few times. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not even going to attempt to quantify it. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but it's definitely not one that I've, that I've ever felt the need to go back, back to after it was in my initial rotation or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but, but I will say like, I have, I think I have positive, this desert life. I think mm-hmm. it just came out at a time in my life when things were relatively like, happy and stable and so mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I i remember listening to this desert life and being really happy so i think you know i think that's sort of an association thing for me but i, mm-hmm. I you know in looking and what i recall from these songs like just looking at the track listings obviously i'd need to go back and give it a full yeah. listen but i think you're right i think hard candy is a, a more solid album yeah because other than alex and everything after the 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 songs this that i'll listen to from their other albums um show up like when I hit shuffle on my iPod and yeah I, I won't skip over them but yeah it's uh they're a band that like I said for some reason not recently but maybe when I was like in college I, I would take a fair amount of shit for liking oh yeah like there, there's always somebody who's like oh ha, ha, you listen to Mr. Jones yeah yeah I do actually <laughs> in, in the era where we were all listening to Dave Matthews right <laughs> like let's not even I, I can't I can't even talk about Dave Matthews I can't I, I, I'm I'm in I'm in Charlottesville I've run into the guy <laughs> I, I'm not kidding I ran into I ran into him and his kids in a in a in, in the uh, gelato place in downtown Charlottesville a couple times you, you, you celebrities live in, they're yeah, just you live, like you live in this area you run into you, you live in this area and you at one point will have your Dave Matthews sighting so what I usually do is uh, I usually do ask the person who I have the guest to, to plug something, but I'm to my knowledge you don't have a, a podcast at the moment. Uh, so I had asked you to make some music recommendations because you are time and time again. Let's see what I did there? Um, I, did, I do. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will. I will email you or message you over Twitter and say. I'm sick of the music I'm listening to. Do you have any recommendations? And every once in a while, um, you know, I'll grab something that you recommend. Uh, the Gaslight Anthem is a, is a perfect example of that. Um, Empires, uh, which I haven't listened uh-huh. to in a while, but I, I, I've downloaded a few songs of theirs. And I, I keep intending to go on iTunes and download something by Haim. Haim. Uh, it's Haim. Haim. Okay. See, I yeah. see H-I-A-M, and I think of Corey. So it's yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. That's that's fair, and I totally didn't know how it was pronounced until I heard them pronounce it. But yeah, they are fantastic. They are a three piece. They're all sisters, um, and so they're 
well, and then they have a drummer of some sort. But Heim is their last name, so that's how they um, how they decided to come up with that. But no, the, I saw them. They were probably my favorite act at Lollapalooza this year. Cool. Um, they are just so fun and so good. Debut album just came out on the 30th of, of September. Um, and it is fantastic. It's called Days Gone By. Um, so I've been playing that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh my gosh, what else have I been listening to? You totally told me to like have answers ready. And I thought about it. And then I was like, oh yes, I'll say A, B, and C. C and then you brought up A and now B and C have gone from my mind. Weren't you recently you were posting something about Fall Out Boy and I'm not a fan of that group but I know that some of the groups that you've seen lately are in that wheelhouse. Whenever whenever I see your your posts on your Tumblr and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so Fall Out Boy, I I love Fall Out Boy and I'm not ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but they actually this so this might be of interest to you um, or maybe not I don't know but they actually recorded eight songs with Ryan Adams oh um, yeah in in his in his own like in Ryan's um, studio this was a couple of months ago and I remember when the picture surfaced and it was just like all of them sitting around and then Ryan Adams and then Ryan Adams producer and this picture just came up and I was like why are Fall Out Boy and Ryan Adams in the same room (laughs) why is this happening to me because they're toying with you (laughs) well this after they put courtney love on their last record right so just stop um (laughs) but anyway that is coming out on uh, digitally on um october 15th and it's called pax am days but it's really just all all, like really fast hard punk rock oh cool um so it's going to be they there's a there was a teaser video up on I think it was on Rolling Stone. Um so if you want to go check that out. So that but that I'm super curious about. So they're they're releasing it digitally and then they're doing a limited edition vinyl for record day. Um which is or independent record store day or whatever it's called. Um uh-huh. and that is uh actually the day after Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, so it's the 29th of November, and um, they are playing a show here in Chicago that day at a venue that only holds 1,100 people. And tickets go on sale Saturday at noon, so please send me all of your good ticking vibes because I will. It's, it's going to be really hard to get those tickets, but we're going to try. Cool. And probably by the time you put this podcast up, I will know whether or not I have tickets. So. Oh, wow. I, I I will I will send you an update so you can let include me, that in the description. Yeah, I I haven't. I haven't I'm trying to think of what I've downloaded lately that is actually current. You know what? Let me just. I'm sitting at my computer. I'm yeah. such a moron. Let I, me look I, at my I, iTunes. At the beginning of two episodes ago, when I did my Baltimore Comic Con coverage, I played as the intro song. I played Harlem by New Politics, a song that I heard like two or three times and could not get out of my head back in April. Um, and then there's one that's making the rounds in the radio station that I, again, is another one. Um, the song's Pompeii. And what the hell is the name? Bastille. Yes. yes Bastille. I just saw Bastille. Uh, of course. Uh, that's a yes, good, Okay. That's yes. A good song. Bastille is fantastic. That, that entire album is really good. Like, if you like Pompeii, Pompeii, I feel like is, it's a great song. It's a solid song. I can see why it's the radio single, mm-hmm. but it is, there are much better songs on that, on that record. So, um, so yes, go get, go get Bastille. And the other, um, the other thing that I have been listening to is a band called, um, I, I'm 
presume you pronounce it churches, but it's okay. all cap. It's all capital letters, and the U they spell with a V, right? Okay. So it's C H V R C H E S. Almost like but, Roman lettering. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, but they are really good. Cool. Um, so it's kind of a. It's a. They're a little more like a, a little more electronic, a little more. Um, they're not really like. They're not really dance music, but, but, oh, what, who do I want to compare them to? I don't, I'm not sure. I don't like Daft but, Punk um, or anything like that. No, 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 no. It's Although I did, I did, load, I, I did load, download um, Get Lucky because that song was just awesome. <laughs> yeah, that song is awesome. The rest of that album confuses me so badly. That's <laughs> why sometimes I only download the singles. <laughs> I listened to it once and I was like, what is happening? Another band that I'm really liking um, also out of the UK are called Everything Everything. Okay. Um, and they, the this is a, one of those bands where the singer has such a, dis- that you are always going to know that it's mm-hmm. that singer, right? Which is also a quality of the Counting Crows, I feel like. Yes. So, um, but they, they have a sort of... Uh, uh, they're a little more rollicky, but and but kind of it's sort of indie rock, really. But um, but I like them a lot. And I listened one time to the new Janelle Monae album, mm-hmm. um, and I have to say that I liked um, the Arch Android better after my first listen of her second record. So there you go. I'm hot and cold on her. I really like the Arch Android. Like, I, I, I appreciate that it's, like, concept album with, yeah. like, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. that's a thing, right? Like, if you're going to do that thing, then you got to commit to that thing, and she committed to that thing, right? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm super appreciative of her for that. But I actually really do like a lot of the tracks on that record mm-hmm. um, as, you know, as, as songs themselves. And I did see her once, and she was fantastic. But this this new one, I don't know what it is. It it may be a grower, so I'm I'm not giving up on it. But but it did not arrest me as immediately as her first one. So I went to Riot Fest a couple yes. of years ago, and I saw Joan Jett. I never thought, like I genuinely just never thought that that would be a thing that I could ever do is see Joan Jett, and then I did, and it was so great. Like she is so good. I hope I'm half as cool as she is when she- I'm. I, I have her greatest. I have a greatest. Which is like next album. year. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for. I mean, this uh, we're we're hitting the one hour forty five minute with a brief interruption <laughs> because Skype or my Wi Fi or something decided to 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 have a brain fart. But uh, <laughs> but thank you thank you for doing this. Um, no, this no, thank you really for having me. Like, like on, I I have to say, in all of my years of interneting. I have never done a podcast before, so cool. so I hope I did okay. You did great. You did great. You did great. And I'd like to thank Shell for coming on. Uh, it was great having her on, and shortly after uh, we recorded the episode, which is about a week ago, she sent me the entire Bastille album, which is awesome. And uh, she told me she got those follow-up boy tickets she wanted, so uh, things are looking up. Uh, but no, that was great. I, I I love Counting Crows. I love that album, and it was great to have someone else to talk to uh, about it. 
Next time around, uh, usually toward late October, I try to do something Halloween-ish. And while this isn't a particularly Halloween-like topic, we will be spending uh, some time with the ghost of Eddie Wilson. So come back in about two weeks for that, and then I'm going to get on a monthly schedule uh, because taking flight will start kicking up again, and of course in-country is out there. If you like the episode, email in, leave a comment on the blog, and what have you, but otherwise, uh, thank you very much for listening, and have a good night. Listen, I ain't no hero that's understood All the redemption I can offer girl is beneath this dirty With a chance to make it good somehow What else can we do now Except roll down the window and let the wind blow You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness. Yeah, so he got this guitar. But the ride it is free Tonight you were lonely for words that I had spoken On a night where we free all the promises will be broken There were ghosts in the eyes of all the boys you sent away And they haunt this dusty beach road And the skeleton frames of burned out Chevrolets You got one last chance to make it real We got one last chance to make it real I think I have